Thank you for downloading and welcome to Take Orally, the emergency medicine podcast recorded at Dream, Queen's Medical Centre, Nottingham. In this episode, we will be discussing early pregnancy, pelvic pain and PV bleeding. As ever, all information is correct at the time of recording. Any guidelines mentioned are correct for Nottingham University Hospital's NHS Trust. Other trust guidelines may vary. All views and opinions are the speaker's own. Hello, my name is Jamie. I'm one of the teaching fellows in emergency medicine. Um, hi, and I'm Anna. I'm um, a specialist registrar in obstetrics and gynaecology and a teaching fellow here. So, um, Anna's come to join us down here in the subterranean world of emergency medicine to uh, <laughs> discuss some of the problems in, emergency med- um, in early pregnancy that we'll see in emergency medicine. Mm-hmm. And in this first episode, Anna, we're going to talk about uh, pelvic pain and PV bleeding. Um, certainly, a, a very common presentation. I think most days in the emergency department I'll see a, a lady in the early stages of pregnancy uh, coming in with some form of PV bleeding. Um, I suppose before we go any further, what sort of time frame are we talking about for, for early pregnancy? What sort of, how many weeks in? Um, I mean you do get some women sometimes that will come in and tell you that they're two weeks pregnant but actually what that means in real terms is that they have just conceived because you have to bear in mind that we uh, talk about pregnancy with regard to someone's last menstrual period. So actually at two weeks when ovulation happens that will be the point that we're talking about conception mm-hmm. and then at four weeks that will be when the lady would miss her first period um, in a regular cycle and would at that point you know, normally realise that she was pregnant. So we tend not to see people you know, before four or five weeks of pregnancy um, and we would call that you know, very early pregnancy. Um, generally when people are kind of coming in with symptoms like pain or bleeding um, I mean obviously it can happen at any point um, but we generally from about six weeks onwards <coughs> we would start seeing these women kind of coming more mm. I suppose through A&E or through the gynae services. Okay, okay so um, I suppose first things first um, as a specialist you, you hear sort of talk about PV bleeding early pregnancy and pain in early pregnancy um, what are the main sort of causes that are going through your head when you hear those symptoms? Yeah so I mean the, the first thing that always comes to our mind is that the a pregnancy is an ectopic pregnancy until you prove it otherwise and so um, if someone comes in with any kind of symptoms no matter how vague if they have a positive pregnancy test we should be thinking about ruling ectopic out mm. um, but other things such as um, a miscarriage, for example, um, or um, rarer things such as a molar pregnancy um, can present with bleeding in early pregnancy. And you have to bear in mind that um, someone who just comes with abdominal pain could also have other causes such as a urinary tract infection or it could be appendicitis. Mm. Um, and so in the absence of you know, finding a cause related to pregnancy, we may then start investigating for those problems. Okay, so I suppose um, as you're the uh, sort of senior, um, so one of your juniors or, or a, a junior down in the emergency department, clerking in uh, a patient who's presented as, as PV bleeding and pain in pregnancy, what are the sort of key questions that you'd want that, that junior to ask in their history? Yeah, so um, I suppose it depends on what, the, what they're presenting with in the first place. If they're coming with bleeding, then certainly we need to know, quantify that, because actually women will, in some respects, quite rightly, rightly worry about any degree of bleeding in pregnancy. But if it is just a couple of spots on the pad, that may be less worrying than someone obviously is having to change her pads every half an hour because they're completely soaked. Mm-hmm. Um, so quantity. Um, 
whether or not the bleeding is also associated with pain because actually sometimes one can be there without the other. Um, and, then, and thinking about risk factors as well, so going back to what I said, you must rule out an ectopic pregnancy. Mm. I'd, I'd want to know if the woman particularly had any risk factors for an ectopic pregnancy so that then we could kind of risk stratify her into how likely that is a po- as a possibility, how quickly we need to think about arranging a scan. Mm. And they would be things like someone that's had previous pelvic or uh, surgery on her fallopian tubes. Uh, certainly someone that's had a previous ectopic pregnancy, that would be one of the, the biggest things. Um, someone that had had previous uh, STIs or pelvic infections, so a PID, pelvic inflammatory disease. Um, or it may be that the patient has fallen pregnant and they're taking some kind of contraception. So if they were currently had a, a coil device in, uh, in place or they were taking the progesterone-only pill, those things can increase the likelihood of an ectopic pregnancy. Okay. And are there any aspects in the history that increase the risk of miscarriage? Um, the main one is probably maternal age. Um, okay. And so we, we just know that miscarriage is much more common as women grow older. Um, and that is something that we can't obviously change. It's not, an, uh, it's not a factor that you could change in a woman's history. Um, the other thing is that if someone had had multiple miscarriages in the past, and by recurrent miscarriage we say that they've had uh, three or more, um, in that case somebody is more likely to uh, miscarry again or have an underlying reason why they may be having recurrent miscarriages and that would need to be investigated. Okay. Uh, I suppose before we go any further, we've mentioned already ectopic pregnancy and miscarriages. Uh, what are the definitions of an ectopic pregnancy and uh, miscarriage? Yeah, good question. So um, an ectopic pregnancy is essentially a pregnancy that is growing anywhere which is not inside the uterus. Um, the most li- common place for that in probably 90% of cases is that it's growing within the fallopian tube, uh, a part of the fallopian tube. But actually, you can get an ectopic pregnancy within the cervix, uh, within a, uh, a previous caesarean section scar wound, um, or rarely within the abdominal cavity, so attached to the peritoneum or the omentum, for example, but they would be kind of very rare um, cases. Um, a miscarriage is the loss of a pregnancy, uh, that an interuterine pregnancy, uh, before 20 week, 20, sorry, 24 weeks of completed gestation. We use that definition because that's the, the kind of the legal age of viability mm. um, in the UK. Um, so any, any baby essentially or fetus that's lost before that time would be a miscarriage. Okay. Um, but the vast majority of, mis- when we t- talk about miscarriages, the vast majority of them are within the first trimester and that mm. is less than 12 weeks of pregnancy. Okay. And I suppose for, for the for the pregnant lady coming in, that might well be the first thought that's going through her head. It might be very emotional and upset, and that, that's another issue that the doctor has to look, deal with as well to, to understand the, the stress that the lady might be going under at that moment. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's probably one of the um, the hardest things about OBS and gynae. So when we talked about early pregnancy, it's kind of gynecology specifically. These situations are quite emotionally charged. You don't actually know sometimes the a woman may have been trying to conceive a pregnancy for many years. Mm. Um, it may very well have been an IVF pregnancy, you know, a very wanted pregnancy. Um, so, yeah, they can be kind of very emotionally charged situations that the doctor's also having to deal with at the same time as um, any kind of emergencies, if they're bleeding very heavily or mm. if you think it's a, an ectopic pregnancy. 
So I suppose, um, I mean, I, I'm, I remember a surgical teacher for medical school telling me that uh, all ladies coming in with abdominal pain are pregnant until proven otherwise. Yeah. And that all pregnancies are ectopic until proven otherwise. Yeah, absolutely. Otherwise. Yeah. Was, was it something you would endorse? Um, um, reinforce? Well, I think that that kind of that message has just filtered down, hasn't it, yeah. through... Um, so everyone kind of has that message in their head because missing an ectopic pregnancy um, can be... Um, well, it can that can be very dangerous for the woman, so it you know, carries a high level of morbidity. But actually, in the mortality reports of why mothers die in pregnancy, ectopic pregnancy is still listed there as one mm. of the causes. Um, and I suppose this like this message of saying it's this and it's an ectopic pregnancy until proven otherwise, or you know a young woman is pregnant until proven otherwise, it's just because sometimes ectopic pregnancy doesn't present in that classical mm. way. Mm. So we kind of read in the textbooks that they come in and they have unilateral abdominal pain and they have a little bit of bleeding. And obviously, if we're talking about a ruptured ectopic pregnancy, then uh, they may be collapsed, signs of shock, etc. But actually. There are some women that just come in with either no symptoms at all, um, and obviously they can be very easily missed, um, or they may be very kind of very vague symptoms. Um, mm. For example, just presenting with diarrhea only. Mm. Um, they may have vomiting, um, which people might think is a normal sign for early pregnancy, which it is to a degree, but that may be the only thing that they have. Um, and so we kind of we always just want to rule it out because mm. we don't want to miss that really important diagnosis. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and uh, talk about shoulder tip pain as well. Then that seems to be um, something that the nurses in particular seem to be very keen mm. on. Have you got any shoulder tip pain? Yeah, yeah. Um, so that comes because uh, somebody who has got um, a ruptured ectopic pregnancy um, may have you know blood inside the abdominal cavity and if then that ab uh, irritates the diaphragm then that can cause referred pain up to the shoulder tip so asking about that is one of the things that you you may ask in your history uh, to try and make you know understand if it's possible this lady has a ruptured ectopic pregnancy um, but you can still have an ectopic pregnancy uh, that is unruptured mm. where you don't have things like shoulder tip pain. So it doesn't rule ectopic pregnancy out, mm. um, but you know it's an important sign to notice if it is there. Mm. It heightens your suspicion that we need to be kind of acting more quickly, mm. uh, possibly even thinking about taking her to theatre mm. uh, to, to rule out an ectopic pregnancy in that case. Um, so I suppose, yeah, it's the... The pregnancy test in all women of reproductive age is a as a underlined not that you can underline on a podcast, but the the highlighted uh, learning point here. Yeah. Um, whatever. What do you class as reproductive age? I was now? yeah. I was just thinking that. So, because um, you kind of it's easy to imagine it in someone who's twenty or thirty. Yeah. Um, but actually, there are actually some pediatric or ch children that would kind of come under paediatrics mm. where actually they are of reproductive age it's essentially anyone who has has the ability to become pregnant so actually if they've started uh, they're having menstruation um, right up to the point where a lady you know goes goes through the menopause I would class that as reproductive age but actually in those extremes of age it's quite easy uh, easy mm. to forget mm. um, that uh, for so, for example, a young girl who's fourteen or fifteen may very well be sexually active, um, and the same is true of someone who is, you know, in their late forties, early fifties. Mm. Um, 
you know, they're still of reproductive age um, and therefore are still at risk of a pregnancy, which could be ectopic. Just when medicine was difficult enough as it was, anyway. <laughs> um, so I suppose um, we've, we've covered some of the questions we need to ask in our history. Uh, how does clinical examination help in our diagnosis then of our lady with sort of pelvic pain and, and bleeding? Yeah. Um, so I think a, an examination of her abdomen is the first thing that you would do always. Um, partly because that will give you a lot of information. If you're thinking that actually this might be an ectopic pregnancy, then knowing whether or not the lady does have guarding in her abdomen, it's, you know, suggestive of a ruptured ectopic, signs that she's peritonitic, um, then that's a really important first thing to do. The other reason why I would do an abdominal examination, even if she didn't have any pain, is that the examinations that we do in gynaecology are quite intimate ones and it's not really ideal to kind of just jump in and do a speculum examination or a vaginal examination as the first time you've laid your hand on the patient. Mm. Um, so it should always be combined with a abdominal examination first. Mm. Um, obviously that not forgetting all of the observations that you would kind of normally take as well mm. and general inspection of the patient. Sometimes you can just look at them from the end of the bed, mm. see that they, you know, they look pale, mm. um, they are sitting in such a way, you know, they're sitting very still, as general markers essentially mm. of a, a surgical abdomen or, or peritonism would be there in a ruptured ectopic pregnancy. So just looking at how the patient's presenting. Mm -hmm. um, and then from the a speculum examination point of view, um, and a vaginal examination. If we're thinking that somebody might have a miscarriage, then a speculum examination is really important because we want to know clinically if the cervix is open or closed. Mm. So if someone's got bleeding, for example, in early pregnancy, um, and someone examines them and finds that the cervical os is open, then that is, we term that in an inevitable miscarriage because that miscarriage is, is going to happen when the cervix is open. Okay. Uh, so that kind of helps us quite a lot in making our diagnosis. What we can see sometimes in that instance is that the pregnancy has already started to pass. So we may very well see that the pregnancy is coming out of the cervix. Mm. And sometimes if the lady's bleeding very heavily, it's necessary at that point to remove that, the pregnancy tissue and that in itself can stop the bleeding. Mm. Um, from an ectopic pregnancy point of view, um, doing a vaginal examination can give you quite a lot of information. Because if, um, if you move the cervix side to side and that causes pain, we call that cervical excitation. Mm. And that can be suggestive of other things like pelvic infection. Mm. But if someone has an ectopic pregnancy and you, you move the cervix side to side and that causes pain, it's suggestive that of a pathology essentially within the adnexa, which is the fallopian tubes. Mm. Um, and so that can be quite a, another helpful sign in making the diagnosis. And um, so I suppose for, for both these conditions we're talking about, um, how useful then is an ultrasound scan in, in both these, in miscarriage and in an ectopic pregnancy? Yeah, so, um, so sometimes you, it may be obvious from your clinical examination, so going back to what I said, if you examine the lady and find the cervical loss is open, or you, you can already see the pregnancy tissue has been expelled, mm. the diagnosis is quite clear, but we do use an ultrasound a lot in early pregnancy. Um, and in some respects, in some cases, it will make the diagnosis for us. Um, and it would be a, normally a, a transabdominal and a transvaginal scan, mm. um, whereby we would see, the first thing is to locate the pregnancy. So is the pregnancy inside the uterus as we'd expect, or 
are we locating it outside of the uterus? And then if we can locate the pregnancy uh, inside the uterus, is there a fetal heartbeat present? What's the size of the baby? You know, how big is the, is the fetus? Mm. So that will help us say how many weeks the lady is and also confirm if this pregnancy is viable. Um, or obviously if the fetal heartbeat isn't there, mm. then we may be able to confirm a miscarriage to her. And um, so I suppose we've, we've got our lady and um, we're, she's, she's got you know, the unilateral pain, she's got, some, all the, she's got risk factors for ectopic pregnancy. Mm. What tests should be done in that immediate um, investigation of the patient? Mm -hmm. um, so it goes like saying that you should, she should be given a, a wide-bore cannula in that situation because if you're thinking that she's... Uh, this is, you're thinking maybe this is an ectopic pregnancy, so citing a wide-bore cannula and at the same time taking some blood tests. Certainly want to know a full blood count to see what a haemoglobin level was, uh, bearing in mind that, that she may become anemic, if obviously if she's bleeding into her abdomen. Um, a clotting is important as well, because if someone's bled a lot, then clearly we need to know that. Taking a group and save. Um, if someone has got you know significant signs that they're... Uh, they're shocked, then a, a cross match um, would clearly be necessary. Um, and checking a, a baseline UNE as well. Mm. Um, again, it goes along as if someone's lost a lot of blood, then you may anticipate that that could affect their renal function. Mm. Um, most of our women, to be honest, that come in, if even if they have an ectopic pregnancy, they're kind of pretty fit and well normally. We don't mm. tend to get women that. Um, are either come in with all, you know significant medical problems, um, and generally because they're quite young and healthy, they don't tend to you know develop renal failure, for example, because they've lost a bit of blood. Mm. Um, but obviously, it's important that we we check for that. Mm. Um, the other blood test <coughs> that we might sometimes do is a beta HCG. Yeah. Um, and it depends on the clinical presentation. Mm. Um, but if you've got somebody that's got a little bit of bleeding, a little bit of pain, mm. a beta HCG can be useful at that point for two reasons. One is to see what the absolute level is. Mm. So if the level is more than 1500 then, and we do an ultrasound scan, then we would anticipate that we should be able to locate the pregnancy somewhere, mm. either in the uterus or, or outside. If the level is kind of significantly less than 1500, then it may be that the pregnancy is too early that we'd anticipate to see anything anyway. Okay. So it can be useful to know that result when you're then interpreting a scan. A scan. Mm. Um, but the beta-HCG in general is something where you need to do more than one of them and see what the level is doing over time. Mm. Um, so in a normal, healthy, ongoing interuterine pregnancy, we would expect the beta-HCG level to approximately double over 48 hours. So that can be quite useful if you uh, you did a scan, mm. um, you couldn't really see anything. Um, and then you weren't sure if maybe it was an ectopic pregnancy that we couldn't see, mm. or actually is it just an early pregnancy that's too small to yet be seen by the scan. Mm. So we do another beta-HCG in 48 hours, and if it's doubling, that, and the patient's obviously quite well, mm. that reassures us that it's probably just an early pregnancy, just too small to see it, and then we can arrange a scan for another week or so's time when actually mm. it should be possible to see the pregnancy. Um, in contrast, an ectopic pregnancy, um, the beta-HCG level may just remain very static or it might go up but not double as we would expect. Mm. And so that just kind of gives us a bit of a further clue that maybe this is an ectopic pregnancy. Um, 
and even if we can't see it on the scan mm. it may still be there um, and there are other ways of treating ectopic pregnancy other than surgery so it may be in that situation if we know we're not seeing anything on scan the blood tests are you know not doubling as we'd expect then we do go down that other treatment option so normally if someone has a positive urinary pregnancy test it suggests that her blood uh, beta hcg is more than 25 okay um, obviously some tests can be wrong sometimes mm. and you, so you do get sometimes this discrepancy um but i'd say the blood pregnant the blood test is quantitative mm. and so actually we should probably go by that but it is unusual for there to be a discrepancy um if you get a positive urinary pregnancy test that's normally uh, it's very unusual for it to be a false positive okay you can get false negatives sometimes um mm. urinary pregnancy tests okay um so we've uh, we've confirmed an ectopic pregnancy in our lady mm-hmm. um how will we go forward and manage our lady then so as with anything there's um, three treatment options Um, there's conservative there's medical and there's surgical Uh, obviously if a lady has a ruptured ectopic pregnancy she's in shock she's collapsed the answer is going to be a surgical treatment Mm. Um, and that can be done laparoscopically um, whereby we would then go in remove the uh, ectopic pregnancy and the effect and the tube where the ectopic pregnancy is growing Mm. Um, or if obviously she is incredibly unwell, then a laparotomy would be required to achieve the same thing. Um, and a, a surgery is still an option even if someone doesn't have a ruptured ectopic pregnancy. Um, and it may become the, it may be the first line option for most for some women as well. So, for example, if the um, the pregnancy size is very large on the scan or if the uh, blood hormone level is very high Mm. then for those women surgery would be the first line management anyway Um, and as I say that would be a case of uh, doing a laparoscopy and then uh, removing the tube with the ectopic pregnancy inside. We can sometimes just remove the ectopic pregnancy and leave the tube Mm. the downs, the positives of doing that are that you still leave the tube there, mm. and so you know there's still a possibility of that tube being functional, so that, that woman can conceive again in the future. You might consider doing that if maybe she doesn't have a tube on the other side because it's already been removed for one reason or another, mm. or maybe the other tube is incredibly damaged by scar tissue uh, or endometriosis, um, and so you could try and open up the tube and remove the ectopic pregnancy and leave the tube. The downside of that is that you may very well end up with another ectopic pregnancy on the same side mm-hmm. because of the damage that's you know being caused. But it is something that we do sometimes but less commonly than just removing the tube alone. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other op- option, so I mentioned a medical option, is a methotrexate injection, mm-hmm. uh, which so essentially like giving chemotherapy the pregnancy tissue is very rapidly dividing cells and so the methotrexate will stop that and then the body kind of naturally reabsorbs the pregnancy tissue over time Mm. it's only really suitable for women that have very minimal symptoms and they have a beta hcg level that's quite low Mm. um, and they are also kind of quite willing to kind of come back for regular follow-up because they have to have a number of blood tests to make Mm. sure that the beta hcg is declining um, and it's still possible for these women to have a ruptured ectopic pregnancy or require surgery during that period of follow-up. Mm. 
they have to be aware of that. Um, and then the final option is a conservative management. Mm. So just in the same way as um, a pregnancy can miscarriage, miscarry sorry, from inside the uterus, it can also miscarry from a tube. Mm. And so in certain women that have very minimal symptoms, maybe their hormone levels are low and already decreasing, mm. um, then you could offer them conservative management where we would just essentially keep a really close eye on them, make sure they knew to come straight to A&E if they developed any symptoms that might be suggestive of a, a ruptured ectopic um, and hope that it sorts itself out, essentially. <laughs> so is it, there is that real spectrum, isn't there? So in, with the ladies with an ectopic pregnancy, so mm-hmm. obviously everyone from a girl who looked absolutely well and it was just just by doing the, the test that you say to everybody do you have abdominal pain that we got booked her in through she was found that she was pregnant and we went through and it was then on ultrasound she was found yeah all the way up to a lady with a systolic of 60 who yeah. was as grey as my scrubs and screaming in agony and absolutely yeah. we fast bleed the carny bridge yeah it's a real spectrum okay so that's uh, the ectopic pregnancy management uh, what's about uh, a miscarriage uh, sort of ladies having a miscarriage how would we manage her so it follows a very similar uh, thing, conservative, medical or surgical. Um, some women may just kind of come in and actually the miscarriage is completed naturally, um, providing then that her bleeding settles and her pain settles. Actually, there's no reason to do anything else for that woman other than obviously give her support and um, reassurance that actually everything will get better. Um, if somebody, for example, has a, they come in and they have very minimal symptoms, but a scan demonstrates uh, a miscarriage, mm. um, or if uh, they're in the process of miscarriage, but there is they haven't passed all of the tissue, then it may be necessary at that point to offer some treatment. Mm. Um, the medical management involves giving medication essentially to make the uterus contract in order to try and get them to pass the tissue mm. so it just basically speeds up the body's natural response to a miscarriage um, so women having that will experience pain and they will you know likely get a bit of bleeding um, but it's quite successful um, in you know a number of women and it's quite a safe treatment to have as well um, and then the final thing is a surgical option where there's a couple of things available now so the classical one is that we do um, a surgical evacuation of the uterus so the woman will be having a general anaesthetic mm. um, there's a, a flexible tube that passes inside the uterus and we basically use curatage so basically scraping out the contents of the uterus and checking that actually then it's empty mm. um, there's a new a technique called manual vacuum aspiration, which is a similar principle, but it's done under local anaesthetic. Mm. It's a smaller tube that passes into the uterus, and it's like a handheld device mm. that some of our consultants and senior registrars are now kind of becoming trained to use. So you don't have the risk of somebody having a general anaesthetic, um, and it could be done like on an outpatient basis, essentially. Okay. Um, the, the problem with the surgical management is there are a few risks to having surgery. Mm. Um, the, the one specific to this is it's a blind procedure, so it's done by feel alone. And so there is a risk of causing a perforation, so a hole to the uterus. Um, and if that happens, then theoretically possible to cause damage to other organs, the mm. bladder or bowel. So you, actually we consent them to have you know, laparoscopy or, or laparotomy to potentially repair that damage. And that's, that's unusual, that the rate of perforation is about 1 in 200. Um, but obviously 
that is a risk that you wouldn't have going for a medical option. So, so we do tend to kind of avo- try and avoid surgical surgery mm. in miscarriage unless the woman particularly wants it, or mm. if she's bleeding so heavily that we need to in order to stop the bleeding quickly. Mm. Okay. Um, so I suppose I mean um, as we're getting to the end of this, um, is an ectopic pregnancy the same as? pregnancy of unknown location and if not what is a pregnancy of unknown location well, I think it kind of is what it says on the tin so it's a the patient is pregnant but no one knows where the pregnancy is um, and it may be an ectopic pregnancy that's too small for us to be able to locate on the scan mm. it may be a pregnancy that is in the uterus but it's too small to see it on the scan so these are women that kind of generally tend to present uh, in early pregnancy with some vague symptoms maybe a bit of pain maybe a bit of bleeding their scan doesn't show anything. Um, we do a beta HCG, and it kind of it, it pro- normally not that high a level. Mm. We repeat it in 48 hours, and it kind of it maybe kind of plateaus. Um, neither goes up or down. Um, it may drop slightly, but perhaps not significantly mm. enough to suggest that this has been a miscarriage. Um, and we never really locate exactly if this is definitely an ectopic pregnancy. Um, they sometimes sort themselves out on their own so the the BTHCG level just declines and there's nothing further for us to do sometimes um, we need to think about doing a laparoscopy if we want to visualise the the tubes and see if there's an ectopic pregnancy Um, or sometimes we give them methotrexate in a similar way essentially to how we would Mm. uh, treat an ectopic pregnancy um, so I suppose once we've managed our, our lady and, and she's looking to going home and, and mm-hmm. um, going back to normal life, um, what advice would you be giving to that woman um, who's had a miscarriage or an ectopic pregnancy in, in terms of uh, follow-up or, and future pregnancy? Sure. Um, so the, the management, <coughs> it depends on uh, obviously what's happened to that particular woman and it will be tailored obviously individually depending on her particular needs. But generally, if somebody had had a miscarriage, um, the, the thing is about miscarriage is that it is very common. People don't tend to talk about it, but actually we know that, obviously, as I said, people get as they get older, miscarriage is more common. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, probably overall, you know, one in five, one in four pregnancies will miscarry in the early stages. Um, and actually just having one miscarriage doesn't mean that you're any more likely than the general population to have a miscarriage again in the future. So for most of these women, we can reassure them that actually this has been an unfortunate one of those things but if they were to go away they're going to recover absolutely fine they're going to expect a period probably in about six weeks time and then after that when they feel ready emotionally to try again um, there's no more there's not more likely they'll have a miscarriage than anyone else mm. um, that obviously is slightly different if you have a lady that's had multiple miscarriages if she's like coming towards the end of her kind of reproductive for example if she's over 40 Mm. then actually she does have a higher risk of miscarriage Mm. um so as i say maybe tailored depending on the story number of miscarriages after which point you start thinking about recurrent miscarriages yeah so three or more three or more um three or more consecutive miscarriages Mm. then you may start thinking at that point that there might be an underlying cause um and so we would want to um I don't know if this kind of goes beyond the scope of uh, of our talk here, because obviously you wouldn't be dealing with this in like no. an emergency situation. But mm. we would want to um, think about testing the pregnancy tissue for genetic abnormalities. Mm. If that was shown to be the case, you may very want 
may very well check the carrier types of the, the parents to see if there's some kind of balanced translocation that's causing an, then an unbalanced translocation in the, fe- in the developing fetus. Um, antiphospholipid syndrome we check for because that can cause recurrent miscarriages just as well as it can cause DVT or, or late mis- or, you know, stillbirth at term. Um, and there can be some uterine kind of structural abnormalities as well. So doing an ultrasound scan and checking, um, as in doing an ultrasound scan outside of pregnancy to check that there isn't any structural abnormalities of the uterus. Um, with regards to coming back to what you said about follow-up, if it was ectopic pregnancy, then um, follow-up-wise, they, if they're treated surgically and everything's fine, they don't really need any follow-up. Um, if they had uh, the medical management, the methotrexate, they do need to have several blood tests to check um, that the beta-HCG level is coming mm. down. Um, in terms of future pregnancies for them, one of the biggest risk factors for having an ectopic pregnancy is having had a previous ectopic pregnancy, unfortunately. Mm. Um, and so you know, that the, the baseline rate in the general population is about 1 in 100. If you've had a previous ectopic pregnancy, it's about 1 in 10. Okay. So it's quite a lot higher. Yeah. Um, and so for these women, when they decide that they want to try again for a pregnancy, um, we would advise the GP to refer them to the early pregnancy unit when they were about six to seven weeks so that we can arrange an early scan, even mm. if they don't have any symptoms, so that we can just confirm that the, the pregnancy is into uterine. Um, and obviously make sure that they're aware of all the symptoms they should be looking out for so they can present themselves sooner. That was the Take Orally Early Pregnancy Pelvic Pain and PV Bleeding podcast. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter where we'll put up links to guidelines mentioned and you can contact us to suggest topics you'd like to see covered in future episodes. For more information on education and research opportunities within emergency medicine, acute medicine and major trauma, you can find NUH Dream on both Facebook and Twitter.